Let's think of it this way. Go to Luke 15, verse 1. Here we go. This is lengthy, but you've got to read all this. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathered together around Jesus to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes back home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who did not need to repent. Or suppose, second parable, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one, probably just in her purse somewhere. <laughs> it's okay to laugh. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin in the same way. I tell you, watch this. There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, a parable would always have a single driving point to it. In fact, the, the point of the parables for Jesus' audience to hear was to recognize that their responsibility to a single something was important because God himself valued that single person. And he begins to make this case that they're starting to connect with because they will understand the a sheep being lost or a coin being lost because they had shepherds in that day and time prominent profession and everybody likes money. So they get the idea behind, man, if this is gone, I'm going to be looking for this. And so Jesus makes this whole case to share with them this parable. Now, the first parable is not about the shepherd, but it's about a single lost sheep. It's about the value of one sheep that was lost. The second parable is about the value of the one coin. Now, both of these things have a single common focus, which is one thing matters to God. And what Jesus is doing here is he is taking the things that they cared about and now saying, here's what God cares about. He's saying, these are the things that matter to you, but here's what matters to God. And even one lost person who repents matters to God. I don't know about you, but I thank God every day that God still accepts lost people who repent and acknowledge Jesus as their Savior and make a decision for Christ. And maybe today is that day for you. Now, he is making this case that by looking at things that matter to you, you now understand something you value. But then do you understand that these are things that God values? See, the question should not be, does God care about what I care about? The question should be, do I care about what God cares about? And it shouldn't be a matter of if it matters to me, it matters to God. It shouldn't be if it matters to God, it matters to me. It, it, it shouldn't be trying to define God at my level. It should be trying to elevate me to God's level. 
Because the reality is, I'm going to always see life from a different point of view than God is. So I have to elevate my life. So the question comes up today that we must all begin to think about is, what matters to me? If you were to make a short list of the things that matter to you, what would they be? What, what would be on that list? Would it be my family, my job, my, my this, my career, my education? And all those are certainly important things, but at the level of eternal value, are they too high on the list and things that should be high are getting pushed down on the list? In fact, if you were to look at the things we'll look at today, and I'm going to give you three things that God cares about today. If you were to look at the three things that God cares about, would they even be on your list anywhere? Or would your list be over here and God's list over here, and then sometimes you bounce back and forth between the two? Because the big idea behind today's teaching and this Luke parable on lost things is that if it matters to God, it should matter to us. If God cares about it, I should care about it. If I care about it, I care about it because he cared about it first. Let me give you three things that God cares about today. There's more, but this is three for time's sake. Here's three things God cares about. These are in your notes. God cares about his creation. Come on, say his creation. Come on, say God cares about his church. And come on, say God cares about his commands. So three things God cares about, his creation, his church, and his commands. That means that those three things right there should be pretty high, if not atop my list. Now, in front of you today in this house, if you look around to your right or your left, in front of the back of you, you will see a beautiful picture of God's creation. You will see the beauty of the nations. You see the beauty of the dialects. You will, you will see the great experience of multi-generations. And you're looking today at a room that is filled with people who reflect God's creation. So when I'm talking about God's creation, I'm speaking about people like you and like me. Now, another thing you've got to realize is that God's creation and his love for creation is why God developed a redemption plan. God's creation, he so loved. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he did what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes would not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. There's God's redemptive plan that came into play. And watch this in relation to the parable uh, expressly is that the parable was about someone outside of God's redemptive plan coming back into God's plan. God loves his creation, therefore God made a plan for redemption. And we must see things from his point of view and not from our point of view. For example, I just gave you his creation, his church, his commands. If we're not careful, we will think about those from our point of view first and foremost and not God's point of view. So do we think about God's creation like God thinks about it, or do we think about it from my point of view or your point of view? Do we think about the church from God's point of view or from our point of view? And do we think about God's commands based upon the ones that we can easily fulfill and the ones we like, or do we think about God's law from God's point of view? The goal today is to move you to seeing everything from God's point of view. Every conflict we see in this world today is a result of rejecting God. At every point, every human conflict, 
Everything we deal with between me and you and between me and God, you and God and me and you and you and me, comes down to rejecting God. Here's why. Sin itself is the birthing place in which man separates from God. And in that process, we have destruction that follows. For example, in the Garden of Eden, just after the fall of man, just after sin, the very next chapter we see a brother kill a brother. They did not think of each other with the same point of view that God had. He was angry and he killed his own brother. Why? Because he disconnected from God. So anytime we see human conflict in this life, we start to realize quickly that that's a result of our disconnect with God. So how much does God love mankind? Very much. His creation? Very much. So much so that he gave his son to die upon a cross. Jesus willfully gave his life for you and for me so that we could have redemption as part of our story. So what do we do with this? When you look at this parable today, he's talking about a lost coin and a lost sheep. All these are things that God cares about. But we have to ask ourselves, do we care about what God cares about? Here's what we know from Scripture. You cannot hate your brother and love God at the same time. It doesn't go together. It just doesn't work. And and there's no way around this. There's no exemption from this that would suggest that, oh, because of this, this is not permissible. The scripture's clear in this. Go real fast to 1 John chapter 4. This is a a bit of a lengthy text, but you've got to hear all this because this sets the tone for this tension between God's love for us and our love for God and God's love for our fellow man and our love for our fellow man. It all comes together. Here we go. 1 John 4, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another. For love comes from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Let me answer real fast here. When we're talking about love in the Bible, we're talking about love defined by God's law, not humans' definition of love, because the word love today is widely stretched in the sin nature. When I'm talking about love, I'm talking biblical model, biblical defined love. Clear, clear enough for you today? Because God is love. This is how God showed his love among his, us, that he sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 11, dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to do what? Love one another. God lives, not just, no one's ever seen God, excuse me, but if we love one another, God lives in us and, uh, and his love has made us complete in us. Verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he's in us. He has given us his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Verse 15, if anyone acknowledges that Jesus is son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Verse 16, and so we know and rely on the love of God has for us that God is what? God is love. Now let's bounce on down briefly to about verse, let's go to verse 19 just for time. We love because he first loved us. 
And whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a what? Is a liar. Stout. For whoever does not love his brother or sister whom they have seen, they cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Everybody say commands. He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must what? Also love their brother and sister. See, here's our attention today. We want peace without God. We want love without God. We want to continue to believe that through human efforts that we can do all this stuff by ourselves. And all this is because we're trying to do everything our way and not God's way. Let me tell you today, you cannot have love without God. God is love. And you cannot love his creation as he loves his creation unless you love them his way. It's actually God's love through me that helps me love you and God's love through you that helps you love me because we all know today that we humans are often unlovable. There's a direct disconnection though. When we disconnect from God, we're going to destroy our fellow man. There's a definite connection between our disconnection and our destruction. Disconnect from God leaves you discontent with your brother or sister. When we get this relationship right, this one works itself out at a whole new level. Second thing God loves, one of my favorite topics, God loves his church. I love to talk about the church. I know you're thinking, well, you should. You're kind of the pastor. Well, let me throw this back at you to think about, should I love the church more than you love the church? I want to elevate today your love for his church. I want you to love his church the way he loves his church. But I don't want you to see his church from your point of view. I want you to see his church from his point of view. When we come into church, as we know it in this context, we tend to think about the church in this perspective of what it does for me, and that is a very difficult place to posture yourself because we should be here because this is his body, Christ is the head, and we're here to glorify him and build his kingdom upon the earth. That's why you should love his church. Let me give it to you this way. Go uh, go to Matthew 16 today real fast. Matthew 16, verse 16. Jesus said... Or Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered back and said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. Verse 18, verse 18, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades will not overcome it. We serve today a God who has a victorious church that will not be defeated by anything that it faces. The church is victorious. And then he said this, and I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven... And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now watch this. Jesus connects together a couple key components here in this Matthew text. First of all, he connects together the idea that all this is because Peter had the revelation that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, the Messiah. Then he connects together that the kingdom is part of this conversation. And that that confession builds the church. 
And we know from the other parts of Scripture that Jesus is the head of the church. So watch this. The purpose of the local church is to be a place where devoted followers come together and through mutual love and edification of the body of Christ, build each other up, worship and glorify him, and begin to build his kingdom on the earth today. The church is the place that God is using to build his kingdom on the earth right now. He is. Now, this brings up a great tension today. Because the church, like many other places in the last two years, has taken a kicking. It's taken a, a beatdown. It's taken a, a disconnect. And I just want to tell you that that is not God's plan. In fact, the whole idea of trying to be part and build God's kingdom but not be inside his church is simply not a biblical point of view. You don't separate the church and building the church from building God's kingdom. Tell me why. We've disconnected that God loves his church. And if we're Christ followers, we should love his church too. We should love his church too. And I know you're looking at me going, well, Marty, we're sitting here. I get that, and I'm grateful for that. But I want to encourage you to watch, encourage those online. Let's keep talking about building his church back by being present in the congregation. Let's keep talking about that and being purposeful toward that and making a place for that. This is not about creating an us and them, but this is about saying that if God loves his church, we should love his church too. If God cares about his house, we should care about his house too. And yes, we're part of God's church independently, but we're also part of God's church collectively. Do you know God cares about his church? Amen. The question is, do we care about his church? I'm not saying we, I'm saying me, and we're in this together. But the third thing, third thing God cares about, God cares about his laws, his commands. You'll like this topic better than you did the church topic, I promise you. You know, you don't have to look far to find the power of the sin nature. Psalm 19, look at this. I want you to hear these words. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. Who would like to go from simple to wise? Put your hand up high. This book will do it for you. I promise you that. Watch verse 8. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commandments of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, or the, 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 the reverence of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous together. Verse 10, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than the honey in a honeycomb. Verse 11, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them, there is what? A great reward. God's commands for you are not burdensome. They're a blessing to you. Everything God has said to do is here for your benefit, not to limit you, but to increase you and to prosper you. The devil told this lie in the Garden of Eden. He said that God's rules are limiting you, 
push beyond God's laws and find the true you. Many today would argue and say this book is way outdated. We need to update this book. Let's get a Bible that fits the 21st, 20,000th century, whatever we're in right now. Get a Bible that talks about today's issues. Listen, every issue today is covered in this book. It's called God's Plan for Man. This book will transform your life, but you've got to read it and do what it says. This book will transform you. We read it in our open proclamation that blessed is the guy who meditates on the law day and night. He will be like a tree, watch this, whose leaf does not wither. He always produces fruit and whatever he does prospers. That's the power of the man that loves the law of God. God loves his creation. God loves his church and God loves his commands. When you love what God loves, it will change your life. It will give you a blessed life of prosperous life, and this book here will transform every part of your life. Let's love what God loves today. Let's care about what God cares about today, and let's let God increase and and, and move our life to a brand new level as we care about what he cares about today.